Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. Amen. Amen. The title of this message is Grace Changes People for Good. I believe that what changes people is not a bunch of rules, regulations, codes, and laws. The power to change people is within the gospel of grace. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 3, that says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Verse 4, Yet because of false, of false brothers secretly brought in, who is leaped in to spied out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery. To them we do not yield in the submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel, everybody says truth of the gospel. So I'm not defending, Paul saying, I'm not defending my opinion. I'm not defending what I think about God and the doctrine. I'm just standing with the truth of the gospel, might be preserved to you. Verse 6, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Another pause here. Paul is not saying that he's just, you know, boastful and prideful about himself. He say, no, I don't have anything to learn from Peter, James, John. I don't have nothing to learn from the apostles. They added nothing to me. It's not about that. He's not being this haughty, you know, like hard to deal kind of person. No, unteachable person. Paul is just saying, the gospel that I have been preaching in Antioch, in all the Gentile churches with Barnabas, when we presented the content of our teaching to the early apostles, they said, actually, Paul, we have nothing to add to your teachings. Your teachings is completely accurate and matching with everything that we've been taught that we have teaching here in Jerusalem. Your gospel is the apostolic gospel. We have nothing to add on to your teachings. Verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles, entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, verse 8, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, work also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Another pause here. In other words, when me and Barnabas brought our content of teachings, the, the, the doctrine of the gospel of the grace of God, the justification by grace message to the early apostles, they, they added nothing but more than that. They were so excited that the Gentiles, the non-Jew people were receiving that, that they call us into the fellowship of the ring. I'm sorry, the fellowship of the apostles. They 
them into the same group. Like, you guys are buddies with us. Like, you guys have the same teaching, the same spirit. You guys are going to teach as we teach. You guys are part of the fellowship. Verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Many people ask, what will be the uh, Paul uh, torn on the flesh? People think that could be a physical disease in his eyes. It could be uh, maybe a past thing that he was dragging to himself. I tend to believe that if it is not that, definitely was part of the thorn in his flesh. These folks that was always coming after Paul's ministry. And their name was the Judaizers, the so-called Christians that, was, that were bringing together the, the religion uh, rites and rituals and customs of the Jewish religion into Christianity. They said it is true that a person can be saved solely by grace through faith. However, if a serious Christian wants to respond into maturity, he has to add on and embrace the mosaic code of laws. If someone can be saved by faith, if he wants to be spiritual, he has to fulfill the mosaic law, Moses' law. And that's why everyone who preaches the gospel, as Paul preached, will be persecuted. Why? Because people think that we are just giving an easy-to-commit message. And, and, and a lot of pastors and preachers and teachers, they feel intimidated because maybe they should, you know, um, add on. They should balance the message a little bit. Just grace, grace. These are going to produce this, you know, uh, 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 sugar-coated kind of message. This is just like, uh, 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 give me mix, mix with water. What is the expression for mix with water? Water down. Diluted kind of message. No. We don't need to be intimidated. It is solely by grace. Because only the message of grace highlights the finished work of the cross and all the glory. Like we sing, all the praise we go to Jesus. Because he has done all. It is finished. On the cross he screamed and said, it is finished. And he shouted, it is finished. There is nothing to be added on. There is no space, no gap, no inch given to any man in order to receive a piece of the glory. Oh yes, I was saved by Jesus, but without my little effort here, my discipline there, my commitment here, oh God could not do nothing to me. So if you go into that direction, you are just prideful, you are doomed to destruction, but if you believe in the solely message of grace, there is no space for such pride. 2 Timothy chapter 13, 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life. Everybody says godly life. There is no godly life out of Christ. A godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The same religious that resisted Jesus, that in his time was the Pharisees, now were creeping inside, was crawling inside Christianity, and they were bringing this mixed message with God's movement. Actually, religion is the greatest enemy of God's movement throughout history. And we need to remember that Christianity is not 
a religion. It's all about a relationship. Christianity is not a religion. Why? Because every religion teaches that we have to earn our way to God. While Christianity says God made a way for us. He came to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God shows His love for us. In that while we were still sinners, still sinners, we are not even thinking on God. Christ died for us. Christianity is not a religion because every religion has a system of rules in order to appease their lower G, God. I have to appease this deity because if I don't do this and that, I'll be punished. But if I do this and that, I'll be blessed. But Christianity says that Jesus did it all. He, God sent His Son to die on the cross in our place. And now there is no wrath. We have peace with God. But pastor, what is the balance? What is the balance of grace? The balance of grace is faith. That's our only law. That's our only rule here. Our only commandment is to believe. Pastor, we have to balance the message of grace. People are going to think it's such a cheap message. God forbid you think it's cheap. It's totally free of charge. You cannot think that it's cheap. There is no cost at all. But it costed everything to God. He paid it all. So you could not pay anything. Because if you have to pay anything, you're going to boast in that little penny that you think you could add on to the work. So basically, these Jewish Christians were the new Pharisees. There was these new legalistic people that were coming after every single church that Paul had planted. And we have to understand that believers without the grace of God will continue to depend on their efforts to keep some sort of law. And in some way earn God's favor. But when we understand that we are already under God's undeserved favor because of Christ. The yoke, the burden, the heavy load that some leader says, oh, I, I cannot lead because it's so hard. I cannot be a Christian because it's so hard. You're going to go away. And finally, you enjoy what Jesus has promised in John chapter 10. I came to give you life and life overflowing. You have so much life that you have enough to spare and give it away. And people around you are going to notice such overflowing of life. But I understand that the gospel is a revelation. It's not something that comes just with this exchange of words and with my speech. You have to have your eyes open. Galatians chapter 2, verse 2. I went up because of a revelation. Everybody says, a revelation. A revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seem influential, the gospel. The gospel is a revelation. That I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Next week, I'm going to talk about that. If Paul had run in vain. Now, without the revelation, you're going to still be this blind person. Touching concepts about the gospel. Just like the legend of the three blind men that... We're trying to define what an elephant is. So the guy that touched the elephant's belly said, the elephant is just like this smooth, big wall. 
The second one touched the, the elephant trunk. It says, no, the elephant is just like the big, huge snake. And the third one just touched the elephant legs and says, no, the elephant seems like to be this strong, mighty tree. And there's people that comes with this Baptist, Presbyterian, religious background. And they bring over to the gospel. And they, and they are just like this blind person touching the concepts of the gospel. But the gospel, the grace of God is much larger, bigger, incredible. That our momentary theological notions can grasp. It is the grace. It is our message. And I know that because we are evangelical Christians, because we, we, we you know, embrace some uh, motos and some Christianese expressions, one that we love is to say, you know, to be a strong believer, you have to believe first in order to see. But I, 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 after going through these words of Paul that says that the gospel is a revelation, it is something that you have to see first in order to believe, God brought me to John chapter 9, and we all know this story. When Jesus healed the blind man with the mud made of, out of sal saliva and dirt. And Jesus anointed his eyes. And in that moment of healing this man, the Bible says that because he saw Jesus, because he saw grace, he could believe. Let me prove that to you. John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, Jesus is asking faith for this man. And the man answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Notice that he's calling Jesus, sir, here, because he did not understand it yet. And Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And because now that man could see grace incarnated in flesh, Jesus Christ. He saw grace. The revelation came. He responded, Lord, I believe. Verse 38, Lord, I believe. From sir to Lord, it only happens if you can see grace. If you don't see grace, my friend, you're going to still call in Jesus, sir. You're going to still call in Jesus a good man, a good teacher. I'm rabbi maybe, but not Lord of your life. You have to see grace. And I know I'm insisting with something that is only the work of the Holy Spirit. But please yield yourself to the Spirit. At least try to meditate a little bit more during the week. What is all this thing about grace? The revelation of grace is what leads us in mature faith and worship. Because the text is very clear. Verse 38 that he said, I believe. Verse 38, and he worshiped Jesus. He worshiped God. Now, you say, uh, where, where is grace in this story? The guy received a healing. But that, that's a concept that you have to, to understand the uh, historical background. For a Jewish concept or mindset, if a person was lame, paralytic, blind, leper, whatever was the limitation the person had, it was because that person was in sin, under sin. This is so true that the beginning of this account in John chapter 9, the disciples bring this question to Jesus. Verse 2, they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who's seen this man or his parents that he was born again? So the, the disciples is asking, who's seen? Verse 34, the Pharisees said, you were born 
an utter seen blind man, and you would teach us? So the disciples said, who was uh, who seen, the parents or him, the Pharisees, you were born in utter sin, but Jesus did not answer neither the questions. Jesus, in his grace, simply touched the blind and healed him. And today, Jesus is here also to touch you. You don't need to understand. You don't need to explain yourself. You don't need to give excuses. You just need to receive. Now, I want to insist that the change comes by the power of grace. A persistent fear that so many brothers have about the message of justification by grace is that if we insist on preaching that, Pastor, people will be led into debauchery, into a sinful lifestyle, in bad habits, which is a complete incoherence. Pastor, if we teach the brothers about grace, they're going to go wild. They're going to go crazy. We have to teach about discipline, commitment, holiness, godliness. But I prefer to teach about grace because only grace can actually lead you into victory over sin. There's a classic of the 1800s called Victory in, sin, victory in Christ. Victory in Christ. I'm trying to write a, my personal paraphrase of this book for our 21 days fasting that is up to come. And you're going to learn that. That it's only through the grace of God that you're going to overcome these habitual sins and hiccups and lips that you have. When you look to the man and woman of the Bible, they understood that it is the love of God that compels them, that leads them. While religion says, I do, therefore I am love my lower G God. Grace says in Jesus Christ, you are loved. Therefore, go. Therefore, do. The love of Christ compels us. And that's why Paul chose Titus as the perfect role model about the message he was preaching. If you guys remember, we're in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. I brought with me Titus. Titus was chosen to join Paul to prove to the apostles in Jerusalem and also to these Judaizers, these, these so-called religious people that were holding the, the, the Mosaic law and the, the, the group of codes and commandments of Moses, that they thought, no, no, we have to balance the message of grace with the law of Moses. Paul says, no, just look to Titus. And I have to say that if you want to really walk in righteousness, we have to have the right belief. We taught this in one of our weeks that only when we have the right belief, we're going to have the right behavior. So Titus was a Gentile who was led to Christ probably by Paul. And he became this co-worker with Paul and Barnabas in the church in Antioch. And in the Jerusalem council, he was brought up because he was the living proof that the right of circumcision... The outside appearance of religiosity could not change a man in their heart, but only the message of grace. Verse 4, Galatians 2, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who is leaped in to spite out our freedom. Now, I don't know if you know what is the 
rite of circumcision is, but is the brainmark of the Jewish religion, religion, which is made. Uh, I know we have uh, PG-13 listeners here, but there in the member of a man. It is cut the exceed skin of a man's member. That's what circumcision rite is. Now, I wonder how these Judaizers were trying to spy out Titus. Probably while Titus were going to the bathroom. Now, I don't know about you, but most men, they don't like to be spied out in the bathroom. I know girls, they usually have their tea time in the bathroom. But men, like, they, they don't do that. Like, Mind your business, dude. Don't look at here. But they were probably there just checking out if Titus had the brand as a Jewish person will have. I, I, pro, I will lock myself. I say, man, get out of here. I, I, you're not going to touch my freedom. That we have in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. So that they might bring us into slavery. Verse 5. To them we do not yield in submission even for a moment. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you. Pastor, if we don't press people into good behavior, they are going to go wild. How you dare to say that the grace and the more people understand grace, they will be changed. Let me explain you the brief story how grace works. So, we all, we all know that I have teenagers in the house, and the two teenagers were invited to the church meeting for prayer and fellowship. So one said to me, yeah, Dad, I'll go. I'm going to play ping pong. The other one said, no, I'm going to stay home alone for the first time and pray by myself. Okay, you're going to play by my, yourself while you're thinking to play video game the whole night. I know you, boy. I know you, boy. I know exactly what you're going to do. So... You know, like, I don't want to create that uh, forceful PK kid that is resentful toward the church because they were forced to come to the church. Say, all right, just have your home alone experience and pray by yourself while you are at home. So everybody left home. First time he stayed alone in the house. And just came to be that in that night, as we are noticing the weather is changing, there was a gush of wind blowing the house like shaking like never before and he thought that somebody was breaking the house and yes boy he prayed like he never prayed in his entire life he actually when we came home that was his testimony he says i just pray for you guys coming back home like i never prayed before because grace works like that it changes people without reinforcing things god has his ways to change us i believe that grace change people for good. Now I'm going to prove that more for you because Titus is this amazing example of a man that uh, could keep his background, Greek humanistic background, and say, you know what, I'm under grace. I don't need to be a role model to my family. I can be just wild and keep my practice as a good Greek, you know, just eat and, and, and be a glutton and be a, a drunkard and be a, a sexually moral person because this is my Greek background. But grace changed that man for good to the point that Titus became such a, a great man of God that Paul trusted him, one of the hardest churches to lead. 
Titus became the pastor in the island of Crete. 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 And Crete, or the Cretans, had the fame to be the most outrageous, immoral Greeks, or so far, the Romans. Because now Greek was taken by the Romans. And the Cretans even kept this, I don't know what is the same city you imagine, you know, probably for the Romans at the time would be the island of Crete. Like there was, there was the the island of sin. They were liars. They were morals. And these people were coming to the church. And a lot of them were, you know, embracing faith. But keeping their family background lead their way. We're just Cretans. We just keep our culture alive. What are we talking about? And for that church, let me explain how Paul instructed Titus in order to lead those brothers into a godly life. Into a committed life. Would Paul teach Titus to say, Titus, you have to teach this brother good manners. Like they have to learn what commitment is. Like, come on, Titus, stand firm with these brothers and teach them discipline. Would be that the word of Paul to Titus? Let's take a look in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God. Everybody says the grace of God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And what the grace of God does, verse 12, the grace of God train us to renounce ungodliness. The grace of God train us to renounce worldly passions. And also the grace of God teaches us to live a self-control and upright and godly lives in the present age. Titus, if you have to teach this Christians something, teach them the grace of God. Because the grace of God has the power to change people for good. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. From all lawlessness into purity for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good work. The result of grace, it is people, it is a group of people that is zealous for good works. And not the other way around. Let me keep proving that to you. Titus chapter 3 verse 4. But when the goodness... And loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us. Verse 5. Now, pay attention on that because it's a perfect definition of grace for me. It is the goodness, verse 4, and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared and saved us. This is grace. Not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renew of the Holy Spirit. Yes, if the Spirit is a mighty wind, a few days ago it blew over my house and made my son be different. He really prayed because the work of the Holy Spirit changes people. It's not us. It's not our commandments, our traditions. Verse 6, when he poured out us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace... We might become heirs according 
to the hope of eternal life. Only the gospel has the power to transform men. For the simple fact that only the gospel's message has the power to generate the confidence of good things. The blessings of God. Only the message of grace changes people for good. It is the message of the gospel that generates faith in our hearts. So is this a two-way road. Because I saw grace, I have faith. And because I grow in faith as I receive the word of God, I will grow into grace. I will grow into my revelation in grace. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. To generate faith, Jesus affirms that we are forgiven. So when Jesus wants to generate faith inside of our hearts, which is the balance of this message. Pastor, should you not bring some sort of rule, codes, and commitment, and discipline, and self-awareness kind of message? No, we need to preach grace in order to generate faith. We need to encourage faith in order to increase grace. Let me prove that to you. Mark chapter 2. We know the story. The friends were bringing his paralytic friend over to Jesus. But the house was crowded. There was no space. So they made a hole in the roof. And brought his friend down in front of Jesus. Verse 5. Mark chapter 2 verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, sons, your sins are forgiven. Jesus presented forgiveness, unmerited forgiveness, unasked forgiveness. And when that man, pay attention, remember the, the, the background, the historical background. Remember, yes, like I am paralytic because I was born in sin or my parents were sinners or I was just born in utter sin. Remember the story of the blind man? So I deserve because I am an utter sinner. However, I'm receiving forgiveness of my sins. If my sins are forgiven, I don't need to be a paralytic anymore. I can receive my healing. And yes, everybody wander around, verse 7. Who is this that forgives sins but God alone? I love that because God is so eager to bestow us grace. Because He knows what is in your heart. What is holding you back is your conscience of sin. The Holy Spirit had work in you already. And maybe there are people watching us online and you are the very proof that the work of the Spirit is working. The Bible says the Spirit will be sent to convince the world about sin. And you are convinced about your sin. However, for us saved ones, the Bible says that the work of the Spirit is to convince us about His righteousness. And today there is forgiveness for everyone that are convinced of sin. If you just receive that's why in verse 11, Mark chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus said to the man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were amazed. They were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like that. Some might be listening and thinking, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't bring that conscience of guilt. Don't impose me any guilt feeling. I don't need to do that. Actually, if you are listening to this message, it's because we were already convinced of guilt of sin. But today, grace says, your sins can be forgiven if you simply accept His love. I don't need to convince you about sin. You don't need to, you know, like try to deal with this sin, guilt feeling with therapists or calm yourself with some sort of good words. Just receive the forgiveness of your sins. Let me invite you to stand up this morning as we close this message. For those that never listened the message, you came here today, maybe dragging yourself or carried by someone, or because maybe someone sent you the audio or the link of this video, and you're listening to this message. You were just like the paralytic, unable to walk by yourself to listen and to receive. But some are listening to this message and you were convinced of sin already. Most of us Christians, we were convinced. And for us, the work of the Spirit now is to convince us of the power of the grace of God. They're going to lead you into godliness. It is not your good works. It was not your good works that saved you. It is not your good works that are going to keep you saved. It is the grace of God that has the power to transform, to keep you saved, to hold you together.